Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. Those of us who have done any amount of long distance hiking know that really the trail in our memories of what goes on when we have a pack on we're challenged by the trail. What we remember most of all are the wonderful people that we've met along the way. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're a entrepreneur out there especially in eastern kentucky check them out appalachia meets world we are back it's will and neil neil this new year's eve you survived christmas man i survived you know it's still in the back part of my mind because there's still what do you call it junk junk. everywhere (laughs) in my house i hate to be so frank but you know me i'm kind of blunt yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand that. I feel like this week, especially, you know, work wise or anything else wise, it's like the Christmas lull. Anybody that has any vacations, like they all, they all want to save their vacations for the end of the year. And my question has always been, why would you do that? If, <laughs> if you have a job, there's nothing going on there. Yeah, why, no. you, why would you waste your vacation days? Work is vacation the last week of the year. <laughs> Very good point. Since it is the New Year's, New Year's episode, you have any New Year's traditions that you have? I know there are several that people do for good luck, for other things. Is there anything that you do? You know, I don't really have a uh, a New Year's tradition. You know, our mom always fixes uh, black-eyed peas on the New Year's Eve because you're either supposed to eat them the last day or the first day or something. But yeah, I saw I saw one the other day that I am. Uh, I'm definitely adding it to my list this year. What's that? I guess it's an old tradition, but I've never really done it before, so I didn't really know about it. On New Year's Eve, you leave the door to your house kind of cracked open so that the the old year can go out and the new year can come in. This New Year's Eve, I'm leaving my garage doors up, my (laughs) doors open, my screened-in porch open. I'm leaving it all open. Because I'm kind of ready. That sounds kind of dicey for some. <laughs> 2021 is getting out of here. I don't care who comes in. Yeah, that's, that's funny. That's a good one. I, I uh, like you mentioned, mom, I always eat black eyed peas, but just a little bit of background on that black eyed peas are native to West Africa. It's like a mashup between West Africa and Western Europe traditions that kind of brought it over here. They are good luck because they swell like most beans. When you soak them, they swell and it's so supposed to be for prosperity and to, for good luck. But there's also in Scotland, the Scots brought over the first foot. Have you ever heard of that? Foot. Supposedly the first person to step foot in your door in the new year, if it's a dark haired male, then you're going to have good luck. Anything else is bad luck, apparently. <laughs> People have been asking me to come step in their house (laughs) for a long time, and I didn't know why. (laughs) Now I know. Yeah, on New Year's Day. (laughs) But there's also cornbread because it has that yellow glow. It's supposed to be for gold or good luck. Of course, collard greens. Most people eat black-eyed peas and collard greens. Greens for wealth. I'm a big fan of Hoppin' John. You like Hoppin' John? I don't even know why. Hoppin' John. Hoppin' John is a mix of rice and black-eyed peas, and some people put collard greens in it, too, and so it's kind of like a double whammy, black-eyed peas and collard greens, but Hoppin' John is some, oh, man, I love me some Hoppin' John. It's almost <laughs> like soup beans to for me, but Hoppin' John is some good stuff. 
You sound like you're in the kitchen with soup, beans, and salmon patties. <laughs> we might need to add that to the Thursday night list, get some hopping, John, with our salmon patties. I, I only know of a, a few more. I've heard of one old tradition of ashes over the hearth. Yeah. Apparently, like, wherever the footsteps lead the next day, that's kind of the kind of good or bad luck you're having. I, I don't know. But there's also the, the kiss on New Year's Eve. Do you do that? When the ball drops yeah. or whatever? Yeah, always. <laughs> I, do why, why, why I don't do know that. why, though. Do you? No, I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I have no clue. <laughs> but it's what everybody does. So yeah. at 12.01, I'm like, hey, come here, honey. <laughs> I guess then, start start the year off on the right foot, you know. Yeah. Ho- hoping you'll get more of those kisses throughout the year. <laughs> the last one, which I'm surprised that you don't do this. Uh, considering do. your your background is shooting you know like shooting guns or shooting off fireworks on new year's uh, a lot of people do that i've never I've, ne- I've never done that have you ever done that no i should though i got some fireworks still from the fourth <laughs> you, I, de- you definitely should I, if it's dry i, I might do that <laughs> i don't know if it's for good luck or what but it's a long-standing tradition that i think western europeans brought over but it's you know, shooting off fireworks or shooting off guns. Sounds fun. Sounds like right down my alley. But then there's also the big thing of New Year's resolutions. I've not ever been big on resolutions. Have you? No, I just think of them as goals. And I try to set goals for myself all the time anyway. And, you know, I've never really focused on that one particular day or that one particular time frame to set a goal basically for the year. What about this year? You got any this year? I don't think so, but I know for sure I'm leaving the doors open on the 31st. <laughs> like that tradition is happening. So well, I say you shoot fireworks out your front door. I, I say that's a great idea. It might be my back door though. You, you know, it's <laughs> set up better. To but they'll both be open, right? Oh, heck yeah. I'll shoot it all the way through if you want me to. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. We'll, we'll, I'll ask you next week. The only thing I, I always resolve or the only thing I always say for a resolution is I, I want to read more, and I never really do. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff I always want to read or see I have, that I want to read, and I always say I'm going to, and I always end up not doing it. I have good intentions of reading all the time. I buy books for myself. I never find time to to really sit down and enjoy a book. I've found that the easiest way for me to read is to listen to audio books. And I have done that. I do have a recommendation on on that if you want a recommendation on sure. audio books. Sure. It's better to be feared. Oh. <laughs> Tom Brady. That's right. Yeah, I always... Hear, hear that excuse too. Uh, I never, never have any time. I, I don't make that excuse. I, I just always have to be in the right mindset to read. I, I, you know, I, I can always sit down. I can always make time to sit down and watch a game or something. So if you got time to watch a game, you, you got time to read. I guess prioritize is the thing. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. No. What? Well, what do you think the number one resolution is that most oh. people make? Oh, I already know. You don't. That's not even a question. There's no doubt to lose weight. No question. Yeah, I, I would. I would guess that too. I mean, I don't have any facts to back if you, that. If you tell me, oh, I thought you were going to drop a, you know, some big chart on me uh, <laughs> that proved it, and I was going to argue that it was definitely weight loss. I thought you were going to say it was something else. No, it's just my guess too. I think weight loss or, or you know exercise is probably the number one by most people resolution that they make and perfect opportunity to do that is something that we never mentioned before but it's the Appalachian Trail the AT mm-hmm. which most people set out as a goal to one day hike through you know exercise is definitely the number one and and hiking anywhere but especially the Appalachian Trail is one way to do it you know the Appalachian Trail fits us perfect for us to promote <laughs> it but to that point i think we should actually try to endure it if we're going to promote it all the time what do you think i'm i'm all for it man again it have to get on our priority list i could say that the only thing is making time for it it's not just something you it's not it's not an hour or two you set aside yeah i know <laughs> i can't I, know. I hike through the at is uh five to eight month experience you know you could do we could do parts of it and see if we could survive like four days 
Yeah, I yeah. think we, that's something we could definitely do. Maybe we can make a resolution to, to in 2022, four days we'll spend on the AT. I'm down. Let's All right. Do it. All Let's right. That's our it. resolution. We just made yep. it. We just made it right here. Right At here on least the four days on the AT trail. And one person that we could ask where we might could spend these four days is <laughs> our guest tonight. As far as the hiking community goes, I feel honored to have this guy on the show. I mean, he's a living legend in the hiking community, especially on the AT. But I mean, he's hiked everywhere domestically. Nimble Will Nomad. He just recently became the oldest person to through hike the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to talking to the other nimble will in my life, the nimble will nomad. Let, let's get him on here. All right, let's do it. Like I said, honoring to have him on here, and let's let's get it going. On the episode today, we have very special guest nimble will nomad he is a hiker and an author and the epitome of or maybe true definition of hiker trash which i think he will wear with pride he was originally an eye doctor and in his late 50s started hiking and he really never looked back in some of his journeys or odysseys, as I know that he calls them in his blog, which you can read at nimblewillnomad.com, he was one of two people that has through-hiked all 11 National Scenic Trails, which is an incredible accomplishment. That also includes the Triple Crown, which a lot of people have heard of, the Pacific Coast Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and of course, the Appalachian Trail which is why we wanted to have him on the show today to talk about his recent accomplishment. He became the oldest person at age 83 to through hike the Appalachian Trail, which is an amazing accomplishment. And especially in the hiker community, we want to say it's an honor to have you on the show, Nimble Will, as well as a pleasure to have you on today. We appreciate your time. What an introduction. I'm going to have to Sit up a little straighter here today. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Yeah, no, no, no problem. I, I explained earlier kind of why we have this podcast. One of the things we usually do, we throw a little icebreaker question in there, and and we usually talk about traditions. Our family has their tradition around appetizers, but I'm kind of going to change it up a little bit today. I usually ask the the guests their favorite appetizer. But with you, I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite meal on the trail? What's your favorite thing to eat when you're on the trail hiking? Easy. Pizza and beer. (laughs) I love it. People say, well, my goodness, you can't have that on the trail. Well, I just tell them if it's 15 miles to the next town, it's a 15-mile day. If it's 20 (laughs) miles to the next town, it's a 20-mile day. Every little town's got a pizza joint. Of course, that's a spoof. but Right. I've been so blessed on this journey, Will, to have had just incredible support. Nathan and Kim, Nathan is not only my webmaster and a very dear friend, but he also was responsible for my itinerary on this hike. And he worked tirelessly for hours and hours, sometimes uh, all day on making the necessary contacts to see that I had proper care on the trail that I had support. So there were very few days, Will, where at the end of the day, there wasn't someone at that road crossing to fetch me, pick me up and take me to town where I could get a good warm meal, get cleaned up and and a good night's sleep. No way could I have been successful on this hike had I not had the support that I had. So as a result of Nathan's ability to juggle all this over a period of over six months, had someone there pretty much every day to either hike with me, kind of keep an eye on me, uh, help me get up when I stumbled and fell down, and then get me to town or get me to a hostel. A number of hostels along the way were very kind and took me in. So my problems with trying to come up with the kind of food I needed to carry, usually it was just a snack for lunch 
And there were times where I was in my tent at night or had to stay in a shelter. Uh, those particular times, uh, I'd have a sandwich made for me and other things that I could carry with me. So it wasn't the, the normal kind of a traditional effort that you've got to put out if you're going to do a long distance hike. Folks say, well, you're just doing day hikes. That's all you're doing. Well, that's fine. So I was doing day hikes, but I did a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, so, how many, how many de days exactly did it take you? I know this is a your little third. longer than this is your yeah, third. This hike was a little, I was going to say this is your third through hike through uh, Appalachia, correct? Yes, and uh, that surprised the heck out of me. It was a different hike this time than the other two. Uh, 261 days, and this was longer than just the AT. I started this hike at a place called Flag Mountain over in Alabama, which is the southernmost extent of the Appalachian Mountain Range. So that was an extra 417 miles. So this journey was. 2,617 miles and uh, 261 days. So I had, I was, it was a grind. That's what really surprised me. And I wasn't prepared for the, the extent of this thing and my inability really to do the kind of miles that I was hoping I'd be able to do. I just couldn't do it. I, I want to ask you just a quick, I guess you referred to it maybe as a gearhead question. But how do you how do you pack, especially now uh, as you're a, a little bit older, obviously, but how do you pack for the trail? Do you pack incredibly light for the trail? From the, that, the 20 years ago or so, I could carry a 30 pound pack and do a 20 mile day. But over the years, uh, my ability to continue carrying the weight and doing the miles diminished. I'm down now. This hike, I averaged 10 miles a day is all. If I'm out there over eight hours a day on the trail, I lose my concentration and then I get in situations where I tend to fall. And my pack weight, you know how this works. You, the weight of your gear goes down and the cost of your gear goes up. Uh, I've been blessed to have some wonderful sponsors that make the very finest, lightweight, state-of-the-art gear. I carried my my pack the entire time. I, I, I didn't do any slack packing, but I'm a kind of a perennial slack packer, I guess, because my total pack weight uh, on this hike without food and water was uh, would vary, but a little bit between five and six pounds. That's it. That's incredible. Folks tell me, oh, you, I know you. I know you're kind of guy. You're one of those that just goes out and rolls up in the leaves and lets the bugs eat you all night. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I've got a, a sit-up tent. It's not a, a bivy. I can sit up in this tent that I have change clothes in it. It has a full pan. It has no seam around. It has a detachable fly. It weighs about 13, 14 ounces. It's the latest Dyneema material, which is incredibly lightweight. I've got a sleeping pad. I've got a beautiful uh, quilt that was provided me by Z-Packs. Uh, the down now is amazing. They've got 900, almost a thousand loft down, I guess now. They treat those little feathers somehow with something to make them fluff and to make them a little more water resistant. And uh, that was provided to me uh, through their sponsorship. So I carry a little bit of a first aid kit and weighs an ounce or two. And I have no extra clothes other than my foul weather gear. And that's what I wear if I'm washing my other clothes. Uh, the difference between what we really want uh, when we're hiking and what we need are two different things. And I've got my once pretty much in parallel with what I need. And people are surprised if they really look at how they pack and what they carry with them, that they're carrying an, an incredible amount of stuff that they really don't need. So it, it's been a, it's been a process for me over the last uh, tens of thousands of miles. Uh, some of the stuff uh, I got rid of, I just walked off and forgot I had it laying there. <laughs> just never went back and got it. <laughs> I imagine you don't need stuff like that then, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm down to around five and a half pounds. Uh, this is all I'm carrying, not counting food and water. That's slack packing for most people. Yeah. I want to ask you a kind of a curiosity question. Just in, in your long hikes, what's the hardest part for, for you? Is it the weather? Is it the wilderness? Is it the loneliness? Uh, is it the injuries? What makes it the hardest? What makes you almost want to quit when you're out there? This hike especially, and I challenge myself to do these things. A short hike for me is around th three months. Anything under three months is, is a very short hike. So I challenge myself and I set myself goals of doing these very long 
extended uh, protracted journeys. And some of them have been easy and very pleasant. And some of them have been incredibly difficult and straining on me mentally and physically. And this one, like I said a while ago, Will, it's really caught me off guard and surprised me. This was my third AT through hike, but I haven't hiked the AT now for 21 years. I did my first hike 23 years ago and my second 21 years ago. You know, Mount Katahdin and Mount Washington and the Bitterroots and all those places are all pretty much just the same as they always were. But to me, they just created an amazing challenge. So the day-to-day effort on this hike, any given night, I could have said to hell with this, I'm going home. But I was able to replenish my energy and get my attitude and my mind straightened out where I was ready to go again the next day. That got more difficult at day 200. (laughs) It got more difficult at day 225. And so, yeah, I I would say just the daily wear and tear and strain on my body. uh, This was a very difficult hike, Will. I, I said a while ago, I'm a little slow. About three months into this hike, when I was having an incredibly difficult day, uh, which wasn't totally unusual, it finally dawned on me, there's a reason why 80-year-old people aren't doing this. (laughs) (laughs) You're obviously a legend in the hiking community, and I imagine you have, you you already mentioned the support you have on the trail, and I know you you were the first person to walk through or to climb through the Max's patch in, in the Appalachian Trail back in the 80s even. But that being said, everyone's experience on the trail is different. And I was wondering with this last odyssey that you conquered, what was the most memorable part for you? Was it walking back through Max's patch or was it something else? Was it the end? Um, I, I'm just always curious to hear from the hiker that actually did it, especially you being the oldest, what was your most memorable in this last journey? Well, Michael Patch was just one of very many places that I could pause and recall some beautiful memories. Uh, And you know, those of us who have done any amount of long distance hiking know that really the trail in our memories of what goes on when we have a pack on and, and we're challenged by the trail what we remember most of all are the wonderful people that we've met along the way. And so my memories uh, from 20 years ago, 25 years ago, unfortunately, some of those people have passed on. But like standing on the, the summit of Max Patch, these were emotional times for me. Well, old people, I guess, tend to become emotional. But just the support I had, the dear friends that came to help me all along, some of those are people and friends that I've had for decades uh, that helped me and supported me. Some that I paused to remember and cherish those memories are gone now. So I guess you can appreciate Max Patch was just one example. There were many, many other places along where I had memorable experiences, primarily as a result of the uh, companionship that I would have had during that particular time with one of my dear friends that either they're not here now or they're just gone. Yeah, it's a very good point. I know Graybeard uh, used to be the oldest person to walk the trail, and he he was one of your, or is one of your dear friends, correct? He's a very gracious man. He was standing on the steps of Tom Labarty's house there in Dalton. The trail goes directly past the front stoop of Tom Labarty's house, and I got to be friends with Tom over the years. And where I did my flip, I, I didn't do a complete straight north through hike. I, as many people do, interrupted my hike. My interruption was a little nondescript dirt road a little south of the New York, uh, Connecticut state line. And I wanted to end my hike somewhere besides there. And I knew Tom and I got a hold of Tom and I said, well, Tom, would you mind if I end my uh, journey on the steps of your front porch right just feet away, a few feet away from where the Appalachian Trail passes. And he was delighted to have me do that. So standing on those steps, when I came down the streets of Dalton there for the very final 100 or 200 yards of my journey, Graybeard was standing there and welcomed me and graciously uh, passed on the the, uh, ownership or whatever you want to call it, of being the uh, oldest person to 
successfully through hike the Appalachian Trail. Now you're talking about memorable moments and places uh, that you uh, recall and uh, events. Uh, that was an incredibly emotional event. That's that's terrific. That, that's that's a, a great story, uh, especially for this achievement. I wanted to ask you. Uh, maybe this is a little more personal question. And I mentioned you were an eye doctor in Florida for many, many years before you started really long hiking. But th- does hiking give you a sense of purpose? What what motivates you to keep going? Did you just leave that other life behind when you started hiking? Is it a sense of purpose for you, really? Well, originally, and when I retired, I was carrying an incredible burden of just regrets. I was not a good person, and I don't profess to be a particularly good person now, but (laughs) certainly then I was not a good person. The way I treated my friends, uh, the way I conducted my life with my family and my other affairs and relations that I had professionally uh, were just not good. And so I was carrying that burden on the trail with me, and the trail offered me over time the opportunity to deal with that mentally. Uh, physically, of course, uh, those demands help you focus on what's important in your life. And so my first really long journey northbound on the AT offered me that opportunity. And I guess out of my gracious thanks and appreciation to the Lord for helping me through some very difficult times, I can go back to the trail now and I can not necessarily relive those experiences, but it's like going to a place you hadn't been in a long, long time and finding comfort and joy and satisfaction in being there. So the trail to me is like that. Uh, So I can return to that. I can find uh, peace. I can find forgiveness. I can find the joy that all of us seek in our lives uh, and being with nature, being alone and uh, being on the trail, the challenges that having the pack on and going down the trail uh, offer me about as close place I could imagine being uh, before the final journey. I'm assuming you're you're happier now on the trail than anywhere else. Yeah, I've reached a point in my life now where I'm content with who I am and what I am. Will, now please don't take this wrong, but I'm just going to tell you something that you know. You're a jerk. <laughs> and I'm a jerk. Just think about it a minute. The times that you would take back, okay? The way you may have been just had a bad attitude one day and the way you snapped it at your parents or your friends, those are just times that we're ashamed of. And and I've been able to get past that because I've been forgiven because of my awareness of God and my association with nature and through nature with God. But so I qualify that when I slammed you with that just a moment ago to start with. It's a startling thing to realize that you're really not the kind of person you would want to be when you're with your family, when you're with your friends. There's times when you would go and take all that back and make it a whole lot better, but we can't. So being on the trail, I have the pleasure and the joy of reliving uh, the fact that I know that I'm a good person now, and I'm going to continue to make every effort that I can to be a good person the rest of my life. So again, I if that startled you and shocked you, it was intended so that you could get the understanding of what I just told you. I appreciate that. And, and I, I know you're an inspiration, especially in the hiking community, you're an inspiration to so many people. So I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give that young hiker? You kind of alluded to it, I think, just a second ago. But what advice would you give that young hiker, that young person, that person that has that New Year's resolution or, or something that, you, you know, they want to get out on the trail, what advice would you give them? Well, we're, all, we're all allotted so many uh, days, months, and years in our life and how we spend that time, uh, especially what we would consider to be quality time, is critical and very, very important. And so the first thing I would say to an aspiring hiker, someone who had just gone out and Maybe has had a little experience of day hikes and uh, perhaps an overnight or two before you go buy some very expensive gear and 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 kind of get locked into doing something that you find out later you may not want to do is is just to make sure that this is the kind of that this is going to be quality time for you that this is going to be an experience 
that you look forward to, that you're going to find joy and pleasure in the challenges of doing a long extended hike. So you got to square that up with yourself. And I can't do it for you. Will can't do it for you. And hopefully to begin with, you've analyzed uh, all of this. You've got a pretty good idea of who you are. You have a way of figuring out what your limits are and, and you've learned to live with what your limits are. So I think you just need to really decide, is this something I want to do? Is this going to be my precious time? Is this going to be the time of my life, I guess, is what you would call it. This is the time of my life. I'm having the time of my life out here on the trail. And if you can't find that sort of joy and excitement and just a renewed day-to-day experience that encompasses having joy in your life, then you may not want to go do this. That's great and sound advice from an obvious expert (laughs) of hiking. I uh, wanted to ask you about, and I know it's maybe a tradition within the hiking community or people on the trail, but where did you get your nickname? And and do you have to earn a nickname when you're on the trail? Okay, that and those of us that have been out there a while uh, usually have some kind of trail name. There's two ways you can get a trail name, Will. You can choose one, which is totally acceptable. Nothing wrong with that. It, it doesn't mean that you're self-centered or you have this big ego thing. It's just, this is one of the ways that you end up with a trail name. You just pick one. The other one is you get one stuck on you. And usually a trail name that gets stuck on you, it's the result of something really stupid that you do <laughs> on the trail. So your friends will see that you're a stumble bum. So your trail name is stumble bum. (laughs) (laughs) Or in my case, I lived in a little place for a number of years at the base of Springer mountain. If you begin your hike on the Appalachian trail by doing the approach trail from Amicalola falls, you climb the falls, you go through that beautiful stone archway there, kind of symbolic of the beginning uh, for many people. And you do that seven mile hike or whatever, eight miles, seven, eight miles distance uh, from the falls there to Springer Mountain. Uh, You'll do some climbing, but you're going to go down through a little gap. And uh, the name of that gap is Nimble Wheel. Perfect. (laughs) Nimble Wheel. So I thought that's really neat. That's a unique thing. And and I don't know, I I don't profess to be incredibly nimble. I fell down every day on this hike a number of times. But Will, I've got the will. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Nimble Will Nomad. Nimblewillnomad.com for the, for the listeners out there that want to check him out. You really write beautifully. I, I know you kept a journal on this trail, but there are also journals that go way back on a lot of your other hikes. Speaking of your other hikes, I know I mentioned before there are 11 National Scenic Trails. There are 19 Historic Trails. There are a number of tr- domestic trails throughout the U.S., obviously. I know you've hiked even Route 66. You've just done a number of incredible accomplishment hikes throughout the U.S. What What is your, and I've heard you answer this before, but I wanted the listeners to know, what is your favorite hike among them? I could, they'll have to be categorized a little bit, obviously, because there's such a variety of different journeys that I undertook. As far as the National Scenic Trails, of which there are 11, most people are aware of the Triple Crown, the three that comprise the Triple Crown, but a lot of people aren't aware that there's uh, eight other National Scenic Trails, and one of those is, I guess, as I look back and think about it, by far my favorite. I I was intimidated early on, like on the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, you go through the desert there in Southern California. That sort of terrain is just daunting. I mean, there you are, and you can see 50 miles in every direction, and there's just nothing out there. It's just you in the desert. So it was forbidding and and, uh, just scary to be out in the desert. But after a while being there, and again, being alone, I enjoy the solitude. There's so many things that if you open your eyes and aren't intimidated so much by the desert, there's some beautiful things to see and some wonderful experiences. So I think my favorite of all the National Scenic Trails, and it's not a particularly long trail, is the Arizona Trail. It's just And there's wilderness. They run you through the wilderness out there. And a lot of wilderness hiking is not really well-defined or well-constructed trail. And so that's the way it is in Arizona. 
and everything that grows out there has got thorns on it. So you're bushwhacking through this stuff. And it was very challenging. And when I got through it, I was very, very pleased and proud of myself that I was able to accomplish and, and to be successful on that hike. The other group of trails that I've hiked are just kind of off the wall stuff. I've done a couple of transcontinental hikes. I've, but of all the other trails that I could maybe group together, the trails of westward expansion, the pioneer trails, uh, by far of all my hikes, those were the most enjoyable and the most rewarding. And primarily those are road walks. Those are auto tour routes. Mm -hmm. That would be the Lewis and Clark, which I did twice. I did the outbound in 2000, the 200th anniversary of the uh, 2002, the 200th anniversary of the expedition of Lewis and Clark. Then I went out back out to uh, Fort Clatsop in 2006 and did the return of Lewis and Clark. So I lived with those pioneers and experienced uh, probably there's no one alive today that can appreciate the incredible challenges that the Lewis and Clark expedition uh, was faced with on a daily basis. So I did six of those uh, and there's six trails of westward expansion, uh, premier trails that would be the Lewis and Clark, the Santa Fe Trail, uh, the one that really opened things up, uh, the, the uh, Oregon Trail, and then the Gold Rush, the 49ers, the California Trail, the persecution that the Mormons suffered uh, where they finally just picked up and moved to Salt Lake City, that trail, uh, the Mormon uh, Pioneer Trail. And then the neatest one of all, and the one I really enjoyed the most, because there's a 500-mile section through the desert out there where there's nothing. I mean, there's just nothing out there. And folks told me there's no way on God's earth that you can walk across 500 miles of desert with nothing out there. Bart Smith and I pulled that all together uh, in 29 days. Uh, the uh, Pony Express Trail is oh, another one. And yeah. I just, I, again, I mentioned it's a people and you're not going to meet people any more intently or any more often or have the kind of experiences uh, that you can have with a backpack on walking down the roads and through the villages. And, and uh, I just had a great, great enjoyment and much satisfaction. That's not really backpacking. I mean, by the truest sense, I'm walking across the country with a backpack on, but it's not what you traditionally consider to be uh, backpacking. But I, I just thoroughly enjoyed the trails. And, the, and these are not trails, they're roads, but uh, the Westward Expansion Trails. I really, really enjoyed that. I, I took great satisfaction and, and a whole lot of pleasure out of having my backpack on and going westbound and eastbound lane of Interstate 40. <laughs> That's amazing. A, a, a true, true nomad. <laughs> I uh, I have a couple more questions. You know, I don't want to keep you too long, Nimble Will. I know you're a busy man and, and um, you have things to do, but I have a couple more questions for you. We kind of ground our, our podcast on place and perspective. And we, we've spoken to people in the past and we, we've explained a lot that, you know, you can live in Appalachia for a week. You can be here your entire life and you can still be considered Appalachian. I know you are currently the caretaker and have been for a number of years at Flag Mountain in Alabama, which you described earlier as kind of the, the start of the Appalachian Mountains. I, I just wanted to ask you, this is a question that we ask all our guests, because I mentioned it's in your name, you are such a nomad, but you are the caretaker of Flag Mountain. Where exactly do you consider home and, and what makes it unique for you? Well, I've spent more time here on up on Flag Mountain the last few years of my life than I've ever been one place uh, for as long, uh, for years and years, because I guess I am nomadic. I hadn't really looked at it in that regard, but the mountain there belongs to the Alabama Forestry Commission. I'm dear friends with all of the people in forestry. I know the head forester of the state of Alabama personally, and I can pick up the phone right now and call him and he'll, he'll interrupt whatever he's doing and, and take a moment to talk with me. The Alabama Hiking Trail Society, of which I'm a founding member, have the formal written agreement with Flag Mountain to caretake the mountain for forestry. And the two uh, requirements they placed on us at the time 
we signed that agreement was that we had to have adequate liability insurance. And the other thing I said, there's two ways to get up to the mountain. There's a gate that leads, a road that leads up to the cabin and a road that leads up to the tower. And they said, if you're going to have those gates open, somebody's going to have to be up there. So I volunteered almost four years ago now to caretake Flag Mountain. The other thing, the other aspect, this county is called Coosa County. Alabama is one of the poorest states in the nation. Comparatively, you know what poor communities are. You've been there and you live that. And Coosa County is one of the poorest counties in the state of Alabama. But I tell you what, Will, and I don't really suppose I need to tell you this, but people that live around the base of Flag Mountain and for an extended distance all around the circumference of that mountain are beautiful people. And they've, yes, and I get emotional about this, but I understand that. I can look off that mountain. I can look down at farms and structures and places down there, third, fourth, fifth generation folk. And here comes this Johnny come lately in here <laughs> from God, God knows where is going to tell us how to run everything around here. <laughs> and I was just so afraid that I would not be accepted into the local community. Those people love Flag Mountain. I guess part of the reason I've been accepted is they can see that the mountain's open now and I'm up there. So they make the connection of this old man on the mountain. So I've been accepted, Will, taken in just open arms by everyone around that mountain as if I was third or fourth generation, just like they are. So I don't have a home. I don't own any real estate. I don't have a house. I don't rent any place to stay, but uh, I'm not homeless. That, that's an amazing answer, Nimble Will. And obviously there's no right or wrong answer. It's always curious to hear people's answer to that. And the way you describe the people of Appalachia, the people of Flag Mountain is just uh, an amazing description. And I, I appreciate that. One, one of the last questions I have for you, and, and I may can guess your answer to this question, but we'll see. This is something that we ask everyone as well. When I say this one word, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word Appalachia. Poor. I mean, this is what we've read about in our history books and our, the geography of that area is, is contained. I touched a little bit of that when I hiked the, and it's interesting that this would be considered part of North Country, but when I hiked the North Country National Scenic Trail, I went through uh, some of the forest down there in the Buckeye State. And so Appalachia kind of creeps across the border and into that area. And I had an opportunity to hike uh, and to meet some of your folks there. These are poor people and they're living on poor land. And But by golly, they don't have a poor life. Exactly when I, right. Where I was raised, Will, very poor community in Missouri. Mixed farming. People scratched the living out of the rocky dirt. Red old rocky dirt there scratched the living out of it. I didn't realize, but I was raised by parents that were fairly well off, comparatively speaking, in the community where I lived. Having things or not having things is not something that was part of my childhood. Uh, the little girls that were in the classes with me, their mothers made their dresses out of flower sacks, okay? You, you understand where I'm coming from. And we've heard this a lot, too, and you've been told, and probably you've told your children and and your friends that I didn't know I was poor. I mean, whatever that means, I didn't know it. So when I say that's a word that pops in my mind, I think I've qualified it a little bit there. So it makes better sense. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Like I said, no right or wrong answer. It's always, it's always interesting to hear uh, someone's perspective and, and the answer to that question. Nimble Will, I, I want to really say thank you, you know, for, for taking the time for this interview I think I can lay credit or lay claim to the fact that Nimble Will Nomad called me a jerk. And, and I, I, I can. <laughs> I got away with it. Yeah, exactly. You don't have a bloody nose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I appreciate your time. This is this has really been a special interview. You know, we've interviewed a lot of guests, but you've been really seems like forthcoming uh, on your answers. And I appreciate that. And it's been just an amazing opportunity to talk to you an amazing accomplishment that you've had throughout your life, but also with this latest odyssey, being the oldest person to 
through hike the Appalachian Trail. And I want to congratulate you for that. And just thank you again for, for taking the time. Kind and gracious host, host for me uh, today. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, Will. It was a great interview. Your questions were, well, they made me think and I enjoyed that. <laughs> thank you. Neil, Pimble Will Nomad. It's such an awesome interview. 83 years old, the oldest person to through hike the Appalachian Trail. By eight months, and as you heard on the episode, he overtook his good friend Graybeard. I know that's one thing I would get if I was if I spent as long as Nimble Will out there on the Appalachian Trail. Graybeard would definitely be on my face. <laughs> uh, you know, he talked about a short hike for him is three months. You know, how many times he's actually through hiked the AT, but also all the national scenic trails that he's hiked. There are 11 of those. And then the historic trails, there are 19. He's hiked Route 66. He's just done it all. And to accomplish that, he didn't even start hiking until late into his 50s. I can't imagine. Incredible. I'm really impressed. I say I'd like to do it, but I don't think I could make it. It's not even a physical thing. It's more of a mental thing. When you're hiking right. solo for that long. Yeah. I feel like I was on Castaway or something. <laughs> like, and the things that we do on a daily basis, that that would that would become grueling on me, especially. Can you imagine me? Nobody to talk to. Yeah. But like he's mentioned, you know, the AT's almost become a social hike these days where you, you will run into other hikers. But like you yeah. said, you know, you may go a spell without speaking to anyone. And yeah, for you, I don't, I don't know if you could make it. <laughs> I mean, people would assume that you would be perfectly fine. But I don't know about me. Yeah, it was interesting to hear him talk about the trail, but also about his life outside the trail, how he's been, become a steward on Flag Mountain. There, the caretaker of the the mountain for uh, there in Alabama, where he now lives. I, I think it kind of struck me when I asked him the question of he's kind of has been a, a nomad for a large part of his later life. And now he's lived on Flag Mountain for the last couple of years and how that's been a kind of a change for him because he's lived in one place, you know, for for a little bit, even though he's still hiking, he, he at least has one place that he's been living and been a caretaker of that he calls home. Yeah. It was also interesting to hear him uh, when I asked him what he thought of Appalachia to hear him, his honest answer of, you know, being poor. And because obviously he didn't grow up in Appalachia, but you know, he now calls it home there in Flag Mountain. And, and uh, it was just interesting to hear him, his honest answer of what he thinks of when he hears the word Appalachia. Yeah, I think I think Appalachia will always have a strong group of people that don't necessarily have wealth or money that they can throw at you, but they have uh, grit and determination and are very relational at their core. Yeah, I think success and wealth are, are uh, defined in different ways. And I think Appalachians have a ton of wealth, whatever it may be. It doesn't always have to be monetary. For sure. We talked about resolutions in the beginning. He obviously, and when we asked him, his purpose has become this hiking, but it's 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 become higher than just hiking and almost on a religious level for him. It has become his purpose. And, you know, people have different purposes and make their resolutions around their purposes. And that's just one of his, and he continues to do it. And Sounds like he's going to continue to do it for a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, guy's not slowing down. Definitely not. Uh, pretty interesting cat, and uh, I look forward to seeing what's next on his uh, agenda. Yeah, I commend him, and I appreciate his honest answers. And he kind of took me aback when he uh, told me I was a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally understood where he was coming from, but it definitely took me aback and made me think a little bit, which was good. And and I think that's what he was trying to do. He just wanted a lot of people to think a little bit about what they prioritize, like you mentioned, what they have a purpose for. Yeah, any man that makes it from way down in the depths of Bama all the way up to Maine is uh, – Got my respect. We haven't even said it yet, I don't think. 15 states, 2,620 miles. Can you imagine? No, man. Pretty impressive. I give it to him. Definitely. So we want to thank him again and appreciate his time. I wanted to ask you tonight if you had anything of place to mention. No, you know, not tonight, but I'm going to throw it back at you because I know you got something from one nimble wheel to another. (laughs) <laughs> what you got 
I'll call it of place, but I really want to talk about the the listeners. And we, you know, we started this podcast really to to connect with each other, and we've talked about that a lot on our episodes. But also, but because of the passion that we have for Appalachia, and I just want to take a little bit of time on this New Year's Eve episode as we ring in the new year and all the hopeful prosperity, keeping our doors open <laughs> of what the, the next year will bring. But I want to uh, say thank you for the listeners. And we appreciate, you know, when we started this, we thought it might be mom and dad. And we've really uh, developed quite a few people that that listen on a regular basis and at least like a little bit. Maybe they don't like us, but they like hearing about Appalachia. That's <laughs> yeah. a, I think that's a good thing. And that's definitely a passion that you and I have both about where we grew up, who we are and who will always be. You know, we'll, we say it at the beginning of the episode and we'll continue to say it. We're always Appalachian, no matter where we are or where we end up. So I want to thank everybody for listening. We got a lot more in store for the new year. I'm really excited and looking forward to keeping this thing going throughout this next year. And I hope uh, this New Year's Eve and going into the new year that we keep on gassing up Appalachia. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm looking forward to it as well. Been a pleasant surprise so far for us. Thanks to our listeners. And uh, hopefully it'll continue to be something that they have interest in. We've got a lot of new and exciting things planned for the coming year. And like I said, we just want to take this episode to, just to mention that and say, stay tuned for what's to come. 2022 coming tomorrow. I guess we can end it like I usually do. Till next time. Peace. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang Yet for old Lang Syne. And here's a hand, my trusty friend, that gives a hand to thine. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and day of old Lang Syne.